once you're here. All right, turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6. Continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. On Thursday nights, we're going through the Old Testament. We'll be in 2 Chronicles chapter 19. If you're new to Calvary Chapel, we started in Genesis on, on um, Thursday nights, and we are now in 2 Chronicles. We started in Matthew on Sunday mornings, and we are now in Revelation chapter 6. By the way, last Thursday was our 10-year anniversary as a church. So it's taken us 10 years to get through the New Testament, but praise the Lord. Amen. So that means I've now been pastoring this church as long as I pastored the church in Santa Cruz. So, so hey, I'm blessed. And last time I didn't get to fi- finish Revelation, I've told Pastor Joshua I get hit by a bus, he's got to finish the book. All right, let's pr- open the word of prayer. Let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. We ask, Lord, as we go to your word right now, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us this morning. Lord, we're going to get a different picture of the righteous judgment of God, a different perspective on whether or not we know you or we don't. For those of us that know you, Lord, the cross of Calvary is the greatest act of love in all of human history. And for those that reject you, It's the thing that will separate us from you for all eternity. So Lord, I pray if anybody here today doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. We ask, Lord, now in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So quickly, Revelation, as we know, the word is apocalypsis. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So the better we know the Lord, the more we're going to love him. And we spend time in the book of Revelation, we get to know Jesus better. A lot of people stay away from the book of Revelation because they have a hard time understanding it. I truly believe it's one of the most easy to understand books in the entire Bible. We saw in chapter one, the outline for the book of, of Revelation, the things which were, which are, which, which were, which are, and the things which are to come. We saw in Revelation one, the picture of heaven. We got a, another glimpse of that last week. And then we saw in chapter two and three, what is known as the church age, the letter to the seven churches. And so you see the church is mentioned 19 times in chapter two and chapter three, and then it's not mentioned again until the end of the book. And the reason I believe for that, and we can disagree on this and that's okay, but I believe that Revelation 4.1 is one of many verses in the Bible that tell us what happens to the church. Because John is writing this and then he is called up, harpazo. He's called up, and the word in Latin is raptura, where we get the word rapture. People say rapture is not in the Bible. Well, the snatching away is in the Bible. It's the word can also be translated rapture. So we see from chapter 4 on that it's a, it's a view of the future from a heavenly perspective. And so in chapter 4 and 5, we got a glimpse again into heaven. And then starting in chapter 6, last week, we got to start to see the righteous judgment of God that will be coming upon the earth. Now, some people wonder, why would God bring righteous judgment? Why would he just bring it to an end? Because ultimately, first of all, God is holy and he must righteously judge sin. But second of all, God is a God of love and grace and mercy who desires that none should perish, no, not one. And even during the seven-year tribulation, it's an opportunity for people to get saved. And literally millions, I believe, millions of people will get saved, but they will have to be martyred, most of them, to give their life to the Lord. So if you were here last week, we began looking at the seal judgments, and we saw the first four. We saw the, the first seal was the white horse judgment, and it was deception. And these are things that the enemy does. So deception is something that the enemy will do, the judgment upon the earth, try to deceive mankind. And again, we live in a time right now where if Satan can't take you to hell with him, he'll do everything he can to distract you or to deceive you. And so we live in a time right now where what's happening, even in a lot of churches today, where we're getting away from teaching the word of God, we become more concerned about the culture. And again, we want to minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. And the enemy wants to deceive you. And the way you keep from being deceived by the lie is to know the truth. Amen? So we follow the first seal was deception. God gives them what they want, a false peace. Secondly, we saw the red horse, the second seal, and that's the horse of war. What they... Wanted doesn't bless them, but destroys them, and false peace turns into war. And we know we're going to see that during the Great Tribulation. There's going to be a great amount of war, but we live in a time where there are wars all around us. And the, the, here's, the, here's a solution to everything that's wrong on this planet, Jesus. Amen. Everything that's wrong on this planet, all the, all the destruction, all the, everything that's going on around us, it's all because we've lost sight of the truth and the Lord. The third horse, we know it's famine. 
Well, it'll leave them wanting. False peace doesn't satisfy. Again, your flesh will never be satisfied with anything other than what God created you for, which is to have a relationship with the Lord. So you can stick drugs in there, alcohol in there, money in there, fame in there, sex in there, whatever you want, and you can try to satisfy, but your flesh will never, ever be satisfied. The new car smell wears off, amen? Whatever that thing is that you think will bring you happiness is only temporary, and the only thing that will give you real peace is to know the Prince of Peace. And when you have a relationship with him, you'll have peace. And then finally, along with famine, we saw death. And we know the fourth seal, that a fourth of the world's population will die in a very short amount of time. And in today's population, that's about 2 billion people in a single day. Now, again, I know there are people here that don't believe in the pre-tribulational, pre-wrath, you know, pre-trib, rapture, pre-millennial rapture. And again, you'll be glad that you were wrong when you get snatched out of here and don't have to deal with any of this nonsense. Amen. God's not appointed a son to wrath. I have people tell me all the time, well, you're te- Pastor Dave, what you're teaching people is going to harm them when the tribulation comes and they have to live through it. And here's the reality. I'm not worried about that because I don't believe in it. But second of all, I believe when we know the Lord, there's nothing that will shake us. Amen. Amen. We saw a little bit of what happened with COVID. I don't think COVID changed the church. I think it revealed where the church is. And if you love the Lord, you're not going to be shaken by anything that takes place because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So now that brings us to chapter 6, verse 9. Again, if you have your outline, grab it quickly. And I tell the message, who is able to stand? Who can stand before the Lord on Judgment Day? Who is able to stand? Again, the Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in this morning's chapter, we're going to see two very different views of the righteous judgment of God. We're going to see those who've been martyred for their faith, most of them more than likely during the Great Tribulation. During the Great Tribulation, there's going to be no doubt what side you're on. And it's all going to be based on the mark of the beast. And by the way, you're not going to take the mark. People thought, if I get the vaccine, is that the mark of the beast? No. Amen? Whatever you do with the vaccine, that's between you and the Lord, okay? But here's the reality. That's not the mark of the beast. Other people think that they used to say the social security number is the mark of the beast. You know, uh, when you went to the grocery store for the first time, you saw the boop, and then you saw that there was three different uh, six letter, uh, six numbers on the back, three sets. You thought, wow, that's the, that's the mark of the beast. And again, no, it's not, because here's what's going to happen. People are going to make a choice to take the mark of the beast, and in doing so, they're going to know that they're rejecting God. They're going to align with the world instead of lining with the Lord. And so there's going to be no doubt where people stand. And you know what? We ought to get a little practice for that right about now. And my prayer is that everybody in the world ought to know where we stand with Jesus right now. Amen? Amen. We need to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to see, we're going to see the heavenly saints crying out from heaven. And when you look at this, we get an idea that at least to some degree, there's some knowledge in heaven of what's going on on the earth. And sometimes people will say that's impossible because the Bible says there's no tears in heaven. And if people saw this mess, they'd be crying in heaven, right? But I do believe we have some level of understanding and these, guys, these martyrs are in heaven and they're going to tell the Lord, avenge us. Lord, when are you going to bring righteous judgment? They're crying out for it. If you have your outline again, the word martyr there is where we get the word witness. You shall be martyrs unto me, right? And a witness is somebody who takes a stand for the Lord. And a martyr in this case is even unto death. That they will, they'd rather die with conviction than live with compromise. They're going to stand for the things of God, no matter what the cost. Jesus died for us. We should be willing to lay down our lives for him. The many will be martyred for refusing to take the mark of the beast. And again, during the great tribulation, it will be easy to determine whose sides you were on. The previous four seals caused things to happen on earth. This seal th- causes things to happen in heaven. So the, we have the seven seal judgments. Remember how this whole thing started. There was a scroll in heaven and the focus in heaven is what? What's the focus in heaven? The throne of God. Amen. They're all fo- nobody's looking at the gold streets. They're focused on the throne. Why? Because that's where God is. Amen? And they're focused on his presence. We know there's 24, again, uh, thrones around him, and there's a rainbow around the throne. Again, a, a picture of the, God's faithfulness to his promises, right? But there's a scroll, and no one can open it. And then, of course, we know the Lord's the only one who can. And the scroll is what? What did I define that as? 
Title deed to the earth. I'm glad somebody's paying attention at church. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. There's a reason why I'm repetitive, because we forget. But it's a title deed to earth. So as he begins opening these seals, so it's wrapped up with seven seals on it. As he opens each seal, another one of these events takes place. And so we've already seen, we're coming to the fifth seal today. And this is the first one where it doesn't impact as much what's happening on earth as what's happening in heaven. And then we'll look at the sixth seal. And this one I defined as cosmic disturbances. All of nature will be affected, the sun, the moon, the stars, as well as the heavens. There will be earthquakes. And it says in the text that every mountain and every island will be moved. Now, there are people that believe, and I've shared this with you before, there's a term called preterist, and they believe that all the stuff in Revelation happened in AD 70. Well, if you think that, you need to read this morning's text, because certainly in AD 70, all the mountains didn't get up and move. The islands didn't move. There were not earthquakes to the point where, again, and here's the problem with it, the book of Revelation was written in 80, 90 to 95, and they're all future events. So if ever, if I just want to educate you so that if someone comes and says, well, I'm a preterist, they believe that everything in Revelation already happened. And that's just nonsense because that would mean that Satan is chained and we're in the millennial kingdom. And, and, that, and if he, again, as you heard me say, if he's chained, he's on an awful long chain. Can I get an amen to that? So, so these are all future events that will take place. And again, why do we want to study it if we're not going to be here for it? We need to be ready to equip and encourage others. By the way, our website is rapture-proof, so when we, go, when we all go to heaven, there's still going to be a place where people can go and hopefully watch this message. If we're, in, if we're not here, we're in heaven, you might want to listen. Can I get an amen to that? All right. So they're gonna, the people in heaven, they cry out, Lord, avenge us. And they, call it, they cry out to God. But when the, these cosmic disturbances come, the world's going to run to creation and hide Instead of running to the creator, they're going to try to hide in creation. And you cannot hide from God. Amen? Amen? You cannot hide from God. Where are you going to hide from 120-pound hailstones falling from the sky that are on fire? Where are you going to hide from earthquakes that shake the earth so much that the mountains move and the islands move? There's nowhere to escape the righteous judgment of God. And my prayer is, again, we need to get right with God before that happens. There will be no place to hide from his judgment. Here's my question for all of us. Where do you stand with the Lord? Where do you stand with the Lord? Are you born again? Are you a new creation in Christ? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you recognized you're a sinner in need of a savior? Are you born again? Are you married to Jesus? We're the bride of Christ. Again, does the Holy Spirit live inside of you? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Again, the world is afraid and the world should be afraid because if you don't know the Lord, you should be afraid. But those of us who know the Lord, know the Lord, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Amen. You can't threaten us with heaven. The worst thing the world could do to us, the best thing that could happen to us. Amen? So let's begin there looking at who is able to stand in Revelation 6. We're going to pick up there in verse uh, 9, well, verse by verse through the text. Revelation 6, beginning in verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. First thing I need to do is pray. See, when you do announcements, this gets messed up. So let me pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So notice he says there, when he opens that fifth seal, I saw under the altar those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Again, while the previous four seals cause things to happen on earth. This seal causes something to happen in heaven. We know the Bible tells us that the tabernacle is a model of heaven. And the things that we see in the tabernacle are things that we will see in heaven. And we know that everything in the tabernacle, as we've talked about repeatedly, all points to Jesus, right? The golden lampstand, he's the light of the world. Amen. The table of showbread, he's the bread of life. The altar of incense, it's outside the Holy of Holies, incense going in. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us daily. The bronze altar is a picture of the cross. The bronze laver is what it, how it cleanses us from our sin. Uh, the, the Holy of Holies, again, we're only the great high priest at the time. The high priest could go in on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, Again, that veil's been torn and we can enter into God's presence. But what was there was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant had the mercy seat covering three elements inside of it. Again, the Ark of the Covenant, it's a box, not a boat. Amen. So it's covered with the, with the mercy seat and inside of it had the 
Aaron, Aaron's rod, because Jesus is the great high priest. Again, had a jar of manna. He's the bread of life. Had the Ten Commandments, because Jesus is the word. Amen? And then we see the angels on the top of the mercy seat, and they would sprinkle blood in the middle. And when they came into the tomb on Resurrection Sunday that we looked at last week, what did they see? Angels on each side, blood-stained clothes in the middle. So the Ark of the Covenant is a picture of the resurrection that we serve a risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. Amen? So, there's a, so the tabernacle is a picture of heaven. And he says, when he opens the seal, what do they see? They saw under the altar those who had been slain. So they see the blood of those under the altar. Their blood has been shed. But why were they slain? Because they were politically active. That's not what it says. Because they were, you know, whatever other reason. No, they were slain for, what's, what does it say there? Those who had been slain for what? The what? The word of God. Because they stood for the word of God. We're not standing for an organization. We're not standing for a group. We're standing for the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by... Amen. So if you want to know God better, you spend more time in his word. If you want to grow in faith, you hear me say it all the time. You're as close to God as you want to be. Amen. Amen? If you want to be closer to the Lord, spend more time in his word, spend more time in his presence. And they were slain for the word of God. They stood for the word of God. Is it any wonder why the enemy is attacking the word of God? Is it any wonder that the word of God's been taken out of schools, but they let allow it in prison? If they had it in more schools, there'd be less need for them in prison. Amen. Amen. They take the word of God out. They remove the word of God from everything. People tell you to keep your faith to yourself, to check your faith at the door. Here's the reality. Wherever you go, you are salt and light. Whatever building you enter, the Holy Spirit just entered the building. Amen? And God wants to use you for his kingdom and for his glory. And I pray that if we have to be slain for something, let us be slain for the word of God. And they were slain for the word of God. So they're in heaven. Their blood has been shed. Again, the tabernacle is a model of heaven. Just as there is an altar in the tabernacle, there's an altar in heaven. And he says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. These souls are under the altar, emphasizes that their lifeblood was poured out as an offering to God. It says in Leviticus 4, and he shall pour out the remaining blood at the base of the altar of the burnt offering. So whatever blood was left over from the sacrifice, they would pour it over and it would spill into the base of the altar. And again, that was going to be a picture of the blood of the saints being poured out. So to the souls of those who were sacrificed for their testimony, boldly proclaiming the truth of the gospel, were symbolically represented as under the altar in heaven. They had surrendered their lives to the Lord as unto death. You know, we don't share our faith as often as we should. Can I get an amen to that? All of us, amen? Why is that? Because often we're more fearful of what men will think of us than being faithful to the Lord. Not, a, not an amen in the room, amen? <laughs> but the reality is that we struggle because it's, it's easier to pray for people because it's easier to talk to God about people than it is to talk to people about God. And because we're afraid that we might not have the answers, we're not well-equipped enough to do it. Well, if you're not well-equipped enough to do it, you can fix that by reading the book, not waiting for the movie. Amen? Open the Bible up. Open it, read it, obey it, and watch how God will use you for his kingdom and for his glory. Again, for the life of the animal soul is in his blood, and the blood is often represented as, again, crying out for vengeance. It says in Genesis 4, Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. I'm not my brother's keeper. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out from the ground. So the slain for the word of God and the testimony which they held. And while this may be a reference to all martyrs in human history, in context, it likely, likely refers to those who will be martyred during the great tribulation. Those who will have their heads cut off for serving Jesus. See, we're we think we know what persecution is, and we really have no idea. We have no idea. I mean, the closest thing we've had is, by the way, continue to pray for Calvary Chapel San Jose. They just, they just affirmed their $1.2 million fine the county of Santa Clara did this week They're, because they stayed open during COVID. And uh, you know what? Most of the other counties have waived it. But here's the reality. I love Pastor Mike. Most of you know I was on staff with Rob McCoy at Calvary San Jose. So that's one of my home churches. And Pastor Mike is making a stand. And God bless him because he wants to get it to the Supreme Court. So then, then once it does, then they can't tell churches they have to close. And I don't care if they tell us if we have to close or not. We're having church anyway. Can I get him into that? If Home Depot's open and strip clubs are open and 7-Eleven's open, we're having church. Amen? 
So here's the point. The point is the exhortation here is to stand for the word of God and stand for the truth and know that it may cost you something. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Amen? So the slain, again, not by the righteous judgment of God, 1.7 billion dead after the fourth seal, or 2 billion roughly, but by the beast and his followers, that's the Antichrist, for refusing to take the mark for st- and standing for and boldly proclaiming God's word. Of the Antichrist, we are told in Revelation 13, we'll be there in a few months, and it is given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given to him over all kindreds and tongues and nations." Of note, even after the church has been raptured, there will be those who are saved during the great tribulation. We know that among them, there will be an angelic being. There'll be two witnesses. You guys read this in the Bible. We're going to get there later. The two witnesses, nobody knows for sure. I'm thinking Moses and Elijah, but the law and the prophets, but whoever it is, these two men, well, and because they're on Mount Transfiguration, but these two men will be standing and they will preach the gospel, they will be struck down dead, and they will raise from the dead, and the whole world will see it. Now, 50 years ago, if you told people that, you would think, how in the world would the whole world see it? Well, now you've got your, your, you got your phone in your pocket, and when they raise from the dead, the whole world will see it in 30 seconds. Now, the good news is we'll see it from heaven. Can I get him into that? But what will happen is during the Great Tribulation, there will be people that are professing the gospel. We'll see in next week's chapter, there'll be 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel, 144,000. Most of you, if you're new to the church, we used to meet in the synagogue. We started the church in Calabasas. We lost our place to meet during COVID because they didn't like the fact that we continued to meet. Our landlord was skittish. But the point is, in talking to Jewish people, I always let them know, God's not done with Israel. Can I get an amen? Amen. And we're pro-Israel because God's pro-Israel. And this is a Jewish book written about a Jewish savior by Jewish people. Can I get an amen? That being said, Israel as a nation right now has blinders on its eyes. But during the great tribulation, we're going to see great revival take place and many, many Jewish people getting saved. So God still has a plan for the chosen people again. And we'll see that there will always be that remnant that is standing for the Lord, even in the midst of the great tribulation. I believe there will be millions that are saved. Among those will be Christians who get left behind. Now, I'm not talking about real Christians. I'm talking about people who think they're Christians. Amen? Amen. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Should you go to church? What's the answer? Forsake not the gathering yourselves you know, together, and all the more as the day approaches. So being in fellowship as a believer is a get-to, not a have-to. Amen? This is my favorite time of the week, right? We hang out with God's people. We assemble as our family. All God, Almighty God's in our presence. The Holy Spirit is ministering to every heart. We're all using the gifts God's given to us to minister to one another. I would never want to miss that, amen? But that being said, though, as we know, there, there will be those who go to church their whole life, and then when the rapture comes, praise God, it's an opportunity to get saved for those who don't truly know the Lord. I told, I told you this years ago, I had a coworker who used to come and talk to me about it. And first he told me never to talk about the Lord. Then we'd go to lunch and say, what are you teaching this week? And I remember when I was still in Santa Cruz, I was getting ready to teach this chapter. And he goes, so that means I'll have seven years to get right then after everybody leaves, right? So I'll still have one more chance. I go, well, yeah, but that's going to be a lot heavier price than if you just get saved now. Amen. And by the way, you could get hit by a bus this afternoon and go straight to hell and be separated from the Lord for all eternity. And we don't want that. Amen pastor said hell. Yeah, we talking the truth over here. We teach the Bible. Those who've been witnessed to and mocked the truth and saw Christians as lunatics, some of them will get saved. And you know why they will? Because they'll remember the words that we said, look, some, some plant, some water, some reap a harvest. We don't save anybody. The Lord's the only one that can save anybody, but we're called to share our faith. And we just never know how that's going to impact the future generations. Amen. Amen. And then I, I just think people are going to be digging up Bibles. When we all disappear, they'll probably say the aliens did it. I don't know. They'll say those are all the people that didn't get vaccinated. They just disappeared, right, or something. <laughs> there'll, be some, there'll be some kind of something that they'll say, right? That that's why we all just vanish from the face of the earth. But there will be those that will say, wait a minute. It's all my Christian friends. What happened? And they'll be digging up Bibles, searching for the internet for messages on the book of Revelation and the end times. Becoming a Christian during the seven-year period will come with a very heavy price tag. Christians who refuse to take the mark of the beast on their right hand or their forehead will be unable to buy and sell and will eventually 
be put to death, being martyred. Christians, we are marked already by the Holy Spirit. We don't need any other marks, right? So when you gave your life to the Lord, Spirit went from being with you to being in you. And he never leaves you nor forsakes you. He's, your down, he's the down payment on heaven according to Ephesians chapter 1. He has sealed you. And so when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, we're already marked by the Lord. We don't need the mark of the beast. We have the mark of the Lord. Amen? And so depending on who you're marked by will determine your eternity. The unbelievers will be marked with the likeness of the beast on their right hands and foreheads. And again, Satan is a counterfeit who always chooses to trick people into doing the very thing that, that we, you can have with the Lord. So you can be marked by the Lord or you can be marked by the world or by the beast in this case, the Antichrist. And again, those who make the mark of the beast, sadly, it's too late then. Like you've surrendered your life to him. As soon as you surrender your life to the Lord, tragic. During the tribulation, it'll be easy to determine, again, whose side you're on. It's those who refuse to take the mark of the beast, who are marked by the Spirit, who will be martyred for the testimony that they hold. And while we won't be here during the great tribulation, we must be prepared for times of persecution because there are birth pangs that take place. Now we know, is there, what else needs to happen for the rapture of the church to take place? Nothing. Can we go today? What's the answer? I'm ready. How about you? Now we know that the Lord's waiting for the fullness of the Gentiles, which means when the last person who's supposed to get saved before the rapture gets saved, then we can go. So if you're here today and that's you, Get right with Jesus, and we can all have lunch with the Lord in heaven. Can I get an amen to that? It's time to get Lord right with him. So while we don't really experience much in the way of the persecution in the United States, again, though, it's becoming more and more increased, because I've never seen a time when they told churches they couldn't be open until just recently. We're to stand in the face of persecution. God's word must go deep and take root in our lives. It says in Matthew 13, but he received the seed of the, in, in the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when the tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Do we have any depth as Christians? Or are we merely shallow and surface in our walks? So do you have a deep walk with the Lord? Do you have intimate fellowship with God? In the depth of our faith and understanding of God's word, again, there should be depth in our walk with him. If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would they have enough evidence to convict you? They followed you around with a video camera and watched everything you said and did for a week and then put you on trial. Would you look just like the world or would it be evident? Would it be obvious? You're in the word, you're person in prayer, you're, you're sharing your faith with others, you're using the gifts God's given you, you're coming to fellowship, you're being around God's people. Again, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. We want the boat in the water, but we don't want any water in the boat. Can I get an amen to that? We're called to be unique and different than the world around us. If you're waiting to be a tribulation saint, you won't stand for him. Then when will you, when it take cost you your life? But we can't stand for the Lord now. How in the world are we going to stand for him if, you, if you're somebody, again, who has to go through great, great tribulation? Verse 10. And they cried out in a loud voice saying, so these are the martyrs in heaven. And so we hear people talking from heaven. They're going to be talking to God. They're going to be talking to him. And here's what they're going to say. Look what it says. How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Now, again, they have to have some idea of what's going on on earth because they see the judgment, again, specifically upon those who have martyred them has not taken place. And so they're crying out to God saying, how long? Now notice, I love these tribulation saints who again, brutally martyred and whose lives are considered holy sacrifices unto the Lord. When the, they come into heaven, they cry out, how long, O Lord? These saints know that they've been murdered. They know firsthand what hell on earth the world has become and how savage those who were lost, who had aligned themselves with the beast, had become toward those who follow Christ. They knew that their merciless torture and slaughter of the saints continued on earth and are crying, Lord, how long? How much longer, Lord, are you going to let this keep happening? Why are you allowing this? And again, it's always his grace. See, God desires that none should perish, no, not one. And even though we may lose our lives for our faith, the Lord is being patient because he's waiting because there's still other people that are going to get saved. And aren't you glad he waited for you? Amen? 
So we, we need to live, recognize, first of all, we're all idiots compared to God. Amen? God knows what he's doing. We need to trust him. Amen? But at the same time, they're in heaven and their hearts break because they know that the, the violence against Christians, they're being martyred, they're being tortured. And he's like, they're like, Lord, how much longer? Please, Lord, we need you to put a stop to this. Not an issue of if he would bring righteous judgment, but when. How do we know he will avenge those who have been slain for his sake because of his character? Notice they call him holy and true. That's our God. He's holy, which means he's righteous. He's perfect. Amen? He's holy. He's a holy God. Now, because he is holy, God cannot have fellowship with sin. Amen? You can really have in heaven, if we had one sin in heaven, we'd have what? Earth part two, amen? It was one sin that came to earth that brought the, all the mess that we have on the planet today. There can be no sin ultimately in heaven. God has no fellowship with it because he is holy. Now, praise the Lord. How many sinners we got in the room? Hands on up, you're a liar, you're prideful, and a sinner. Can I get an amen to that? But here's, but here's the reality. We're all sinners again. And it, now, he sees us as sinless now, doesn't he? Through the shed blood of his son, he sees us as holy and righteous, but our nature is we are all sinners. But here's the good news. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knows you best. He loves you most. He was willing to die in your place. And so God hates sin, but at the same time, he loved you so much, he was willing to take all of your sin and mine upon himself at the cross of Calvary and pay the price as if he lived your life so you could be rewarded as if you lived his. That's the God that we serve. Amen? And so here he is, and he's taking it upon himself, and he's done that. And so sin has been washed away, but he's holy. And only the only reason that he could be sacrificed is because he is holy. No one else could pay the price. No one else would pay the price. No one else did pay the price. And he proved that he was God, but on the third day, he rose from the dead. Amen? So he's holy in both his nature and his character. He is holy in that he hates sin, and he is holy. Because he's holy, he must be just and he must righteously judge sin, which is what he will do. Not only is he holy, but he's true. He's the definition of the truth. I've told you guys one of, uh, 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 a term that makes me want to throw up in my mouth a little bit every time I hear it, is I'm living my truth. I just, my, my head wants to explode. There's no my truth and your truth and his truth or her truth. Amen. And definitely not no they, them truth. Can I get amen to that? There's only the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And Jesus is the definition of the truth. Amen? Yeah. I've shared this with you before. In my college class years ago, my philosophy teacher, Dr. Jerry Cloyd, I wonder if he's still alive. I pray for him often. He got a first day of class. He said, if anybody here believes in absolute truth, stand to your feet. I'm going to make a fool out of you right now. And this was long before I was a pastor and I was scared to death to do it, but I stood up and I had my jersey on because it was game day in college. And he said, oh, the big dumb jock in the back is going to define truth for us. And I said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is the truth. I didn't finish that class. <laughs> I got sent out by the teacher because, but the reality is, guys, we know the truth. And he is the truth. And there's no other truth before him besides him or other than him. You're not living your truth. He's the truth. He's the example. He's the one we follow. And he is holy and he is true. Again, the word true there in Greek means true to his word. His promises to bring vengeance and righteous judgment. In Genesis 4.10, he said to Cain, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. In Numbers 35, he says, so you shall not pollute the land where you are for the blood defiles the land and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed on it except by the blood of him who shed it. What he's saying is sin has consequences. That someone who sheds someone else's blood, that the, they, they too will have their blood shed. Only one who could shed the blood can atone for his actions. It says in Romans 12, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath for it is written. Vengeance is mine. I will pay says the Lord, not says Dave. Amen. Now we've all had vengeance in our heart at some point. Can I get an amen to that? You have to, you even like movies where they have vengeance, don't you? 
I have special skills. You know what I mean? <laughs> Somebody takes your daughter away. I get it. I get it. You're coming with, you know. But the reality is, vengeance belongs to the Lord, not to us. Amen? He is holy. Jesus will righteously judge those who slaughtered his saints because he is holy, because he is true. In his purity, he must judge sin, and he must be faithful to his promises. Then they say there, what do they say at the end of that verse? Holy and true until you judge. Avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Note the contrast between Jesus and Stephen's cries concerning those who tortured and murdered them. They both said this to, in, in a variation, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen, they're throwing rocks at him until he dies. The first Christian martyr after Jesus Christ recorded in scripture. If you remember, he gets a standing ovation from God, right? Because when he looks up into heaven, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's standing to receive Stephen because Stephen laid down his life for the Lord. But both cases, Jesus and Stephen say, forgive them. These guys who've been martyred who are in heaven are like, avenge us. Get them, Lord. Get them. Those martyred in the tribulation saints' heavenly words concerning those who murdered them are avenge our blood. And while they are crying out for vengeance, they're crying out to God and leaving the matter up to him. I want you to notice that. They're saying avenge us, but they're not saying it to their buddies in the back of a pickup truck with shotguns, amen? They're saying, avenge us, O Lord. And guys, when we cry out to God, we need to trust in his sovereignty. We need to trust in his faithfulness. We need to trust in his, just again, who he is. And because he is a perfect, all-knowing, all-loving God, we can cry out for vengeance, but we leave it in the hands of the Lord. We don't take it into our own hands, amen? So what we're seeing here is a shift from a time of mercy to a time of justice. You've heard me say this often. He suffers long, but he won't suffer always. He's a long-suffering God. Amen? All you have to do, watch the news tonight. You'll go, long-suffering. Amen? He's a long-suffering God. He endures it. Now, he suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Eventually, righteous judgment is coming. He continues to suffer long, again, for a specific reason. Look at verse 11. Then a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, while both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Wow. He gives them white robes. These are emblems of purity and innocence and triumph. These forgiven and atoned for martyrs have been made righteous, not by their blood, but by the blood of the lamb. See, the only reason we're righteous is because, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. You could say it's because of whose we are, because we belong to him. We've been made righteous. It's not our good works. It's his great grace that saves us. But he lets them know, look, he, he, you're innocent. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. He clothes them in white, but then he tells them, rest a little while longer until the number is completed. Again, God is making it clear that these martyrs, that their sacrifice was an appointment, not an accident. Let me say that again. Their sacrifice was an appointment, not an accident. Our God has numbered our days before the foundation of the world. Amen? One of the things that we struggle with when we grieve is we grieve and wonder if we could have done something to fix it, right? I didn't mean to plan on sharing this, but you know, my son Mark went to heaven 18 months ago. And even this morning, I was driving in here and I had a thought about him and I just started weeping. And as a dad, you feel like I failed my son. I, what, what, I could have done something else. To, but the Lord reminds me, no, he was mine. And I, know, I knew every breath you would take on this planet. And I know a lot of people in here are grieving for different people. And I want you to know that God is sovereign. God is in control. And all happens according to his timing, not according to ours. Can I get an amen to that? And so there's just that we need to be reminded of that. And he's letting them know, look, guys, it's not time yet. It's going to be a little while longer. Here's your, here's your robe. Sit down. Rest. More people are going to die before it's done. And that's heavy to hear, isn't it? But you know what? We're only dying in the temporary, not the eternal. Amen? We're, we're, you know, you, you, a man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen? We're giving away that which is, to, is perishing to gain that which is eternal. 
And we know that God is sovereign and he knows what he's doing. Even in the death of his people, God is in control. So there is nothing to fear. It says in Psalm 116, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And again, the trials that we go through, the question shouldn't be why, Lord, but what and how. Not why do you allow this, but what do you want to teach me and how do you want to use this for your glory? One of my prayers is that, no, you know, the Bible teaches us clearly that no suffering is wasted and everyone in the Bible used mightily suffered greatly. So suffering is a part of molding us more into the image of our Savior. And we pray, our prayer should be that, Lord, whatever trials I go through, may you use them for your glory. May it give me the opportunity, as it says in 2 Corinthians 1, where God comforts us in our suffering, that we may then comfort others with the comfort that we have received from him. Amen? So God is sovereign. God knows what he's doing and he's telling them, you know what? Your death was an appointment, not an accident, and, and more people are going to die. This points to the continued mercy and long-suffering of God as well. While there was still more to be martyred, so too there was still more to be saved. See, that's the point, right? There was still more to be saved. There were still people that, that their eternity's weighing in the balance. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. And so look, that's what really matters is people going to heaven, Seeing people being born again. That's why if we have to lay it on our life so that somebody can hear the gospel, it's worth it because we want to see people. Once we get to heaven, none of this will matter. Amen? Amen? Nobody's going to be bummed about what happened during COVID in heaven. (laughs) Nobody's mad in heaven about anything. Can I get an amen to that? Nobody's bummed about anything. Heaven's amazing. And we can't wait to get there. Amen? The Lord is waiting to bring vengeance upon this these tribulation followers of the Antichrist until the final martyr is killed, until the final tribulation saint is redeemed, and those who suffer on the earth for his sake will be rewarded in heaven. Our Lord is willing that some suffer temporarily, that more might be saved eternally. Let me say that again. Our Lord is willing that some suffer temporally, that more might be saved eternally. We should be willing to suffer temporally, that more might be saved eternally. Can I get an amen to that? We should be willing to do that. Fellowship of his suffering. Our Lord is willing. Even when it appears that the enemy is winning, remember that God is in control and he will always have the last word. I've read the back of the book. God wins. Thank you, Lord. Amen? So point number one there, the cry of the martyrs. They're crying out, avenge us, Lord. Because God is holy, he must judge sin. And again, we know that they surrendered their lives to the Lord and during the tribulation, it's going to be easy to determine which side you're on. My prayer is that we should be, it should be easy to determine whose side we're on right now. Amen? Second point, final point, the sixth seal is cosmic disturbances, earthly cry of rebellious and unrepentant man. Now, we're going to see how the people in heaven are responding to the tribulation, and they're saying, Lord, avenge us. Bring this to an end. And they're crying, but they're crying out to the Lord. And as believers, we should always be crying out to the Lord. Well, these are going to face the judgment of God, and they're going to cry out to the world. And when you cry out to the world and to creation instead of the creator, we're going to see how that works out. Not really well. Look what it says in verse 12. I looked, and he opened the sixth seal, and behold, a great earthquake. We know about that in California, don't we? I think God's given us a little judgment in preview in this state. Amen? And the sun became black, a sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. The opening of the sixth seal will produce worldwide convulsions and ca- uh, um, ca- what's the word there? Catastrophes. There it is, including the first of the three great, great earthquakes. All of nature will be affected: the moon, the sun, the stars, as well as the heavens, and as we will see, the mountains and the islands. Nothing will be the, cha- the same. In the Bible, celestial disturbances are often connected with the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Zephaniah, and Jesus Himself all describe such things. In Zephaniah, it says this: "The day of the Lord is near." It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There will be mighty men shall cry out that day. It is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and the alarm against the fortified cities and against 
the high towers. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuse. Jesus and judgment is coming. Amen? Joel chapter 2 says, The sun and the moon grew dark, and the stars diminish in their brightness, for the day of the Lord is great and terrible. Who can endure it? When the one who holds the universe in the span of his hand moves from a place of mercy and long-suffering to a place of righteous judgment and wrath, we're gonna, there's going to be things happening on this earth like nothing anyone has ever seen before. Now, see, some people read this stuff and they struggle. Why is God so mean? Why would God do that? That just doesn't seem right. Here's what's more amazing. Righteous, holy God has held back for over 6,000 years out of his love for us. Amen? He has shown, he is long-suffering. He has endured all of it. Even James and John said, Lord, just bring fire down. Could you just bring fire down? Bring some thunder. Just, just smoke them, right? They're called sons of thunder. They're in the Bible, right? And the, John, and the one who's writing this is John. He went from a son of thunder to the one who Jesus loves. And he understood the grace of God a little better. Amen? But we don't judge God and say, how dare you judge? I'm amazed that he hasn't judged already. I'm thankful he hasn't judged my life for what I deserve. Can I get an amen to that? So when he does bring righteous judgment, it's part of his character. Notice it says his overwhelming power will be displayed in wrath as described in these verses will bring unparalleled fear into the heart of even the most courageous man. Earthquake, the word there is seismos, a shaking, a commotion, a tempest, an earthquake. This is the first of three great earthquakes referred to in the book of Revelation. And remember the parallel between the first six seals and Jesus' message to the apostle concerning the end times. We don't have time for it, but if you go to Matthew 24, I quoted it last week. He did say this, For there will be many come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you not be troubled. All these things must come to pass, but it is not the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places, and all these things are the beginning of the sorrows. So the revelation order is antichrist, war, famine, death, earthquake, same in Matthew as only the beginning of the sorrows. We're only in the sealed judgments. There's more judgments coming. This is just a prelude and an opportunity to repent, and it's going to get far worse. Either as a result of an earthquake or in conjunction with it, you will have cosmic occurrences. The sun became black, what John sees or looks on is black sackcloth. So, you know, that's made from goat's hair, used to make tents. And why does the sun become black? I don't know. But I know some say, oh, maybe it's from all the fires and it's going to cover the sun and you're not going to be able to see it because of all the things that are taking place on the earth. I don't know. But I know, you know, some say maybe volcanic eruptions that covered the sun. Only God knows, but the sun will become black. And when the sun's black, that's not good. Amen. The moon will be like blood. Again, how? Again, the cloud uh, may be a result of atmospheric changes. The violent earthquake gets the attention of all mankind. There's a black sun and a red moon. And I love in the Bible, you'll always see black and red together because, you know, black represents our sin and red is the shed blood of Jesus Christ that conquers over sin and death. Amen. So when Jesus was crucified, the earth shook, the sky darkened, and they're redeemed by the blood. Amen? Again, here's all, those are pictures of what's taking place during the great tribulation. The earth shook. Remember, dead people got up and walked around. We talked about it on Sunday. How does everyone not get saved? Amen? When dead people are walking, when grandma comes to your house for the Thanksgiving dinner, she died 47 years ago, you'd think everyone would get saved, but they don't. Just shows the pridefulness of man. Amen? They won't, they won't surrender their lives to the Lord. But again, they're shook. The sky was darkened. They were redeemed by the blood. These events were similar, again, to those who when, took our judgment upon ourselves and when he pours out righteous judgment upon the rebellious. When he took his judgment upon himself and then when he pours out righteous judgment. See, Jesus died the most torturous death so people wouldn't have to go through this. But if we continue to reject him and say, no, I don't want you. No, I don't need you. I don't need the cross. I have no desire to accept what you've done for me. Then we're bringing the judgment upon ourselves that the Lord has already taken for us. So never lose sight of that. Verse 13, and the stars of heaven fell to earth 
as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. What exactly does John see? Falling meteors, asteroids, comets, satellites, or some people say nuclear missiles. Whenever I read the book of Revelation, you know what I say it is? It's, it is what it says it is until it's impossible not to be that. Can I get an amen? So when it says stars are falling from the sky, I think it's stars falling from the sky. Amen? Now, most stars are bigger than our sun, but there are smaller ones. So again, stuff's falling from the sky. Where do you hide from star, stars falling from the sky? Where's the escape? As a fig tree drops its late figs, again, figs ripe, ready to be picked, a mighty wind hits them and they are shaken from their place and they all fall to the ground just as the cosmos and all that is in it is held in place by the Lord. Guys, he holds the whole universe in the span of his hand and if he ever let go for a nanosecond, it would all fall apart, amen? He holds it all together. He's got the whole world in his hand, amen? He holds it all together and if he lets go, we're in trouble, and then the Bible says, proclaiming to be wise, they become as fools. There's people who think it went from the goo to the zoo to you. That didn't happen. They think that nothing exploded and turned into something. It's a bunch of nonsense. God created it all, and he created you in his image, and he loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you, and that's the God that we serve. Amen? If he lets go for even a moment, all comes crashing down. Verse 14, then the sky receded as a scroll, and when it was rolled up, every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Like a scroll on a roller would pulled up and let go. And someone suggested this is a perfect picture of a nuclear explosion. Again, I don't know. I think it just did it. Amen? But what I do know is that this is a part of God's righteous judgment, his wrath being poured out. By the way, how beautiful are the mountains around here right about now? All the hills and stuff. I feel like I'm in Scotland. Can I get an amen to that? It's beautiful. It's my home. Can I get an amen to that? But it's just beautiful. It's green. It's luscious. You drive around, and they're all going to get it move. We think the fire's on them is bad. Can you imagine when they start moving? I'm glad I won't be here for this. Amen? Again, meteors, asteroids, whatever it might be, not interested in having any of them fall on me. How about you? Notice how the reactions of the people are. Now watch this. We're going to finish up here. Watch what happens. How do the people react? Do they cry out to God? Oh, God, we've, we've sinned against you. Please forgive us. Do they, do they recognize, you know what? We're in trouble. And this, remember that guy told us about the Lord? Do you remember all those things we've been told? Remember those guys we killed who were standing for the truth of the gospel? That's not what happens. Look at verse 15. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hide themselves in caves and in the rocks on the mountains. And they say to the mountains, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. They know it's God, amen? And even they know from him, they know it's coming from God. And they, they call him the lamb. By the way, how, how much do you have to do to a lamb to get a lamb angry? Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> the wrath of a lamb, I think that's the only place in the world that's ever been written, ever. Amen. But see, that just shows you that he's, he's, got, he's a loving, gracious, and merciful God who suffers long, but he won't suffer always. But notice what they do. They don't cry out to the lamb. They don't seek forgiveness from the lamb. They run and hide from him. It's been said that during the great tribulation, the most expensive real estate will be a hole in the ground because people want to hide there. Notice what they do. They run from God and hide from God instead of running to God. And the problem is, this is what they've been doing their entire lives. They're giving one more chance to repent. And what do they do? They continue to run from the Lord. Guys, may we not run from the Lord, but run to the Lord. Amen? With well, our, our arms wide open to the one who wants to save us. Every person who remains on the planet when the righteous judgment comes will face the wrath of God, be it rich or poor. Notice it says, kings, captains, mighty, slaves are free. No one will escape his judgment. God is not a respecter of person. He's not impressed with a man's wealth, position, or title. No one will escape the wrath of God. As a righteous and holy judge, he must judge all sin. If a man or woman will not yield to the love of God and be changed by the grace of God, there is no way for them to escape the wrath of God. Let me say that again. If a man or woman will not yield to the love of God and be changed by the grace of God, then there is no way they can, be, they can escape the wrath of God. All who have mocked God, who in their arrogance shake their fists at God, 
Uh, think of all the people today. We have political groups mocking God. We have comedians mocking God. Kings and princes mocking our Savior. Arrogant intellectuals who think they're smarter than God. Uh, the Mormon guy that I just spoke to last week who said they had to send Joseph Smith to fix all that mistakes that Jesus made and where he failed. My head was about to explode. Evolutionary scientists, uh, Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, insincere Christians, anybody who thinks they know better than God, who has rejected God, again, if they will not accept the grace of God and the love of God, they will face the wrath of God. And we don't want to see anybody face the wrath of God. Amen? We want to see people saved, born again. Not only the terror of his judgments, but from the face of him. People trying to hide in caves and rocks from the face of God and the face of the Lamb. Imagine wanting again to hide from the Lamb of God. The focal point is heaven. He who sits on the throne is a source of trepidation on the earth. And the wrath of the Lamb, again, seems like a paradox. We're so accustomed to emphasizing the meekness and the gentleness of Christ that we forget his holiness and his justice. Let me say that again. We're so focused on emphasizing the gentleness and the meekness of Jesus that we sometimes forget his holiness and his justice. The word God's wrath there is like a child's temper. It's not like a child's temper tantrum. This is my own definition of the wrath of God. And forgive me if, if, if it's not accurate, but here's, what I, here's how I've always defined the wrath of God. It is a holy and consistent reaction to that which is contrary to the nature or the will of God. God doesn't blow up like we do. When we get, you know, when, we, when you think of wrath, you think of someone flying off the handle on the freeway, getting out of their car with a tire iron ready to beat the other guy up, right? Wrath, they're just angry. The wrath of God is a holy and consistent reaction to that which is contrary to the nature and the will of God. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a godly reaction because he's God, Amen. The evidence of its holy love for all is right as its holy hatred for all that is evil is, what is as well. Sadly, as the Lamb pours out His righteous judgment, they hide from Him. Remember Adam and Eve, when did they hide? When they sinned. And the same is true for us. Sin separates us from God. Again, it takes a lot to make a lamb or any animal of peace angry, but the world has done it, and God's going to bring a judgment. Last verse. For that great day of wrath has come... And who was able to stand? Who can stand justified before the Lamb of God, the righteous judge? No king, no captain, no amount of money. He's not all impre- that impressed with your inventions. He doesn't care how many TikTok followers you've got. Amen? He's not, he's not, he does, none of that matters to God. What matters is, is what have you done with his son? Amen? Only those who have been redeemed and forgiven, justified by grace through faith in Christ alone. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand. It says in Romans 5, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have access by faith into his grace in which we stand. It says in 1 Peter 5, testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. The believer can stand in the face of the great wrath of God because Jesus already bore the wrath that the believer deserved. We can stand before God, holy and righteous, because Jesus went to the cross of Calvary in our place. Amen? So my, my, my closing question is, where do you stand? You're trying to stand in your own goodness, trying to stand in your own accomplishments, or do you stand because of the grace of God that you've been forgiven, that your sins have been paid for on the cross of Calvary? You've surrendered your life to him, not making him just your savior, but the Lord of your life. So who is able to stand? We can see two very different responses to the Lord. Those in heaven who were martyred saying, Lord, avenge us according to your will. But then the world who has a chance to repent, running from him, continuing to hide from him, knowing that it's coming from the Lord. My prayer is if you're here today and you've been hiding from the Lord and you've never really surrendered your life to him, may today be the day of salvation. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. And Lord, we ask that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. I'm not asking you to join a church, but to come to the place. God has you here by divine appointment. God knew you would be here today. 
And here's an opportunity for you to surrender your life to him. Now, the, the real word here is repentance. Repent means to turn around, to change a mind, to change a part. You're walking in one direction. You're hiding from the Lord. You're running from the Lord. You're running to the world. And now by the Holy Spirit, he's brought conviction into your heart that, you know what, I need to stop running from him, and I need to turn around and surrender my life to him. If that's your desire today, again, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand where you are. This is really between you and the Lord, but it's a way of you confessing it. If we can't raise our hand in here, we're not going to be able to stand for him out there. If that's your desire this morning, I will pray with you. This is really between you and the Lord, but I will pray with you a prayer that you can pray. God will know the sincerity of your heart. It's your desire to give your life to the Lord today, to leave here knowing that you've given your life to him. You're born again. You're going to heaven. If that's your desire, raise your hand where you are so I can pray with you. Anybody at all? God bless you, brother. Anybody else? Anybody else? God bless you. Anybody else? Don't leave here without him. The Lord loves you so much. You'd rather die than live without you. Anybody else? Today, the day of salvation. For these that have raised their hands, I'm going to pray this, and you can pray this with me out loud or in your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning, and I confess that I'm a sinner. Lord, I need you. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you can forgive me. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I don't want to just make you my Savior. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I surrender my life fully to you. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.